Well, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11 is where we are. So you can turn there. Very beginning, it's back in Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands. The ushers will bring one. Um, have, you, have you ever doubted God? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, a few people, good. Uh, don't worry, those of you that were still raising your hand for the Bible, I understand you were raising your hand for the Bible, not going, I doubt God. But um, anyways, um, I, I tricked you. Have you ever asked the question where it's like, God, where, where are you in, in this circumstances or in this situation? Have you, have you ever felt um, maybe abandoned by him? Maybe you've, you've been a believer and faithfully served God for a long time, but you've suffered some loss or some tragedy or trials. And in that, in that moment, it, it's, it's kind of one of those questions, just, God, where are you now? My, my assumption is, is that all of us at some point have had that doubt. We've had that question. We've had that, that raise up in us. And, and the text today, I think, is, is just so beautiful because I, I think it's okay to have a doubt. It's, it's what we do with that doubt. And so, so Jesus had just kind of sent off the disciples and said, go, go and, and do these things and heal these people. And then he kind of turns this corner and he goes for a little bit of time by himself. And in this section is where we, where we come into it. So if you have your, your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, um, he I think in this text, we, we find out that it, one is it's okay to doubt, one is it's okay to maybe ask those questions, but two is, is how we do that. I think that there's a, there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that, and I think we get that in this text. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15 is where we are. When Jesus, Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, so he just instructed them what to do, and he just finished doing that, he says, he went from there to teach and preach in their cities. And now John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I'm going to pause right there. John now, we've got, we got to talk about John for a second. If you remember back, John the Baptist was, was if we look back at, at who he was, in chapter 3, John he comes on the scene where he's saying, Behold, the Lamb of God is coming at Jesus. And, and then he gets the opportunity to baptize Jesus. And he even when Jesus walks in, we don't know when it became apparent to John because he was raised with Jesus. Remember, he had, he had the Holy Spirit shaking him up in mama's womb when, when Mary and Elizabeth came across. So it's like he's, he's been in this picture for a long time. I don't know how much of those stories were shared with him, where it's at, or at what point he said, this is the Messiah. But either way, Jesus comes walking in, and he's like, behold, the Lamb of God. One is going to take all the sins from all of us, like this is him. And then he gets to, Jesus walks in and he says, you know, I can't baptize you, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no, to fulfill all scriptures, you must do it. And so he kind of shakingly, reluctantly, and excited, he baptizes Jesus, dunks him. And then at that moment, the heavens open up and it's, you know, my Morgan Freeman voice that I always hear God saying, this is my son, right? And he's, he's saying it in this amazing, powerful way. And it's this moment where, where, honestly, if you're John, I feel like you kind of, can, oh, finally. Like, if you think about it, because John made a Nazarite vow since the beginning of, of whenever he could make it, and so forever he's, he's been faithfully, tirelessly, obediently serving God in so many ways. He's, he's abstained from so many different things. He made a vow that, that most people would only make for a section of life, and he made a lifelong vow. And he gave up the luxuries, not to make himself seem more amazing, but he, he self-denied himself so that he could be the messenger before God. And in that moment, he sees Jesus in dunks, and this is my son, and, and it's like, I feel like if I were John, it's like, oop, my work here is done. Awesome. Let's see this happen. 
right? And in, in essence, that's kind of what happened to John. If you read the story, it's not long after that that John gets imprisoned. In fact, after this, we do know that a couple of his disciples are arguing. He's like, look, Jesus must increase and I must dis- decrease. Like, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't what, it's not me, it's, it's him. Follow him. He's the one. He's the one to come. This is the Messiah. This is, this is it. And so he proclaims that about Jesus. And then just a little bit longer, or a little bit later, we find out that he's in prison because he confronts Herod for an adulterous marriage to his sister-in-law. Uh, you don't do that unless you want to go to jail. And so he gets sent to jail, and, and, and Herodias, his, his Herod's new wife, is, wants him killed. And, 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 and we know that Herod was reluctant to do so because John had a massive following. He was a very important person. I mean, so much so that even Pharisees were coming out and saying, baptize me. And he's being very gentle and calling him brood of vipers and saying, who told you this? And he's, so he was never afraid to be bold. And so for those around that are like excited about the kingdom of heaven and God, they look at John as like, man, this dude is like, he's got it together. This is the guy that, that, that man, if we were going to be confident about people that are following Jesus, he's it. And look, they're not even touching because they're afraid of an uprising. He's the messenger. He's the one that's, that's presenting the Messiah. And all those things happen and fast forward a few months in a, a dark, dark hole that apparently he was, he was beaten in and, and had some access to him because he sends his disciples to Jesus. We'll read that in a second. Right? And in this, in this moment, as John is, is sitting in this, in this tomb and he's hearing about what Jesus is doing, comes this question, are, 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 you, are you the one to come? Or, or should we wait for another? John, who saw... <laughs> The heavens open and heard, this is my son, in this moment is going, I don't know. Really? I'm struggling to believe that. His circumstances were different. And so I think there's four reasons why we doubt. There's probably a lot more, but I'm going to hit four of them today. I think one of the reasons we doubt God is difficult circumstances. We get in a trial. We see a bunch of brokenness and pain and destruction in this world. It's, it's one Facebook click away or news click away to realize how dark this place is. You experience loss in relationships. You experience health issues. You experience financial issues. And life just kind of crumbles at you and you feel like there's no foundation. Difficult circumstances can easily make us doubt. And I feel like John is, is, is susceptible to that. He's an incredibly difficult circumstance. Remember, John is the guy that's saying he will come with the winnowing fork. He's going to thresh the floor. He's going to weigh, weigh aside everything. So if I'm John, I'm sitting in this tomb going, where's that winnowing fork, Jesus? Come on. What, what's going on? Like, why, why, are, why am I here? Like, crush Rome. Make it happen. Let's do this. But in John's doubt, what I love what he does, in John's doubt, he does what most of us fail to do. He turns to Jesus. See, in that moment, it would have been easy for John to go, I don't belong here. God, I have served you faithfully and tirelessly. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Let's, on a rap sheet, he, he cleans up compared to us. So there's, there's all the good. And yeah, I'm sure he sinned. He was fallible. He was, he was a human. He made mistakes. Right? But... But he, on a rap sheet, this guy did everything right. So he's sitting in a dungeon going, hello, I did everything right, and I think it's okay to doubt. 
but he went to Jesus. We see that in verse, in verse, verse uh, 3. He comes to me and says, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And so he, he, he was in a difficult circumstance. I think another reason maybe why John doubted was because he had incomplete revelation. And this is key because I think for us today, a lot of the times why we doubt God is because we have an incomplete understanding of who he is. And so for John, he had this incomplete revelation. He kind of had, he's like, here's the prophecies, here's what I said, and here's Jesus. And, and he hadn't seen it come to fruition. And so he had this incomplete understanding. Now the sad thing for you and I is a lot of times the reason why we have incomplete revelation is because we're just too afraid or too lazy to get our nose in God's word. So a lot of times the circumstances you're going, to, going through, God is going to say, yeah, you doubt, but don't worry. I'm going to take you to a new understanding of me that you never knew you were capable of. Come on, look here. Dig in. Another reason why we can doubt is, is worldly influence. And we see this, this very much around here, but, but in this time, it was, there was a lot of like, theories in Jewish culture that understood about what this coming was. And they had the scripture, but then you had kind of these extra teachings. And there was this, this weird teaching of like, okay, Elijah was going to come. We see that in Malachi and and. and but is it, and then there's this other messenger, and some Jewish culture taught that there would be a Jeremiah that shows up at some point, and so things got a little convoluted, and, and the world started to, to suppress and mess, well, no, hang on now, and then mix worldly influence with, with, with wrong expectations. So for, for John, it's, hey, you're coming with a winnowing fork. You're going to thresh the floor. You're going you're to weigh this away. For all of Jewish culture, it was, he is going to come and crush Rome. We will no longer be oppressed Essentially, it was, it was a belief that was like, man, life's going to be amazing, health and, and wealth, and like, there's going to be no issues, and it's gonna be, we're going to be in charge, and everyone's going to be like, submitted to our kingdom, and this is what's going to happen. So, so John had many reasons to doubt. So he poses a question to Jesus. He goes to him. Now, he sent his disciples. This was, this was like him asking in place, but he couldn't go. So this is a big deal. It's not like just, hey, dude, when you get a chance, go bug that person when you can, and, and ask him. This is like, no, find out what it is, and it was an important thing for them to do. And so this is what Jesus says. And Jesus answered them. So he answers these two disciples of John. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so in this section, Jesus answers what most Jew at this point would have known is, is out of Isaiah 35. He's, he's saying this is what's happening. But what I honestly hadn't really seen or maybe I just didn't ever pay attention to until I got to this section is he tells the disciples, go and tell Jesus what you hear and see. So it's like in that moment, this, again, maybe this is how it is. In that moment, he's like, hey, here, come here, guys. I get it. I get it. He's doubting. He's in, he's in, he's in jail it's tough circumstances, a little maybe woe is me. And Jesus could have been like, oh, that, that punk. Like, he knows everything. What's wrong with him? He's had it. Like, like, I could get up here and hit you with the Bible. You know the Bible. You have it. What's wrong with you? Jesus could have easily justifiably done that to these disciples. Well, of course I'm the one. Get over there. But he doesn't. He says, hang on. Come here. Come here. See this guy right here? And he grabs, picks up someone that's blind. He says, look, now see. He restores the guy's vision. He says, now tell John what you hear and see. See, I'm, I'm here, and I met with a friend of mine, Craig, this last week. He was a pastor for many years, and he said the kingdom of God is, is, is about one individual at a time. 
And I thought that was so brilliant because what Jesus does is most, most Jews at this time saw the kingdom of God as coming in and destroying and having this throne in place where, okay, king and the, the hierarchy's in place. is sweet. We're good to go. But really, Jesus was about making it a lot more personal than that. He says, yeah, yeah, don't, like, that's going to come. I'll, I'll be in charge. That's great. But right now, I'm going to just do this on an individual basis. Let me, let me introduce you to this leper. Let me show you. I've healed him. And he does it on an individual basis, and he quotes this. He says, look, you, you've missed it, is essentially what he's saying. And by answering this question, what's so unique about it is by saying this, he's saying two things to the disciples and, and whoever's sitting around him, that ultimately John was the messenger, and I am the Messiah. He's saying, like, look, this is, this is it. Like, the, the Isaiah told me this. You guys all knew this, and this is what's happening with me. So go and tell them what you see and what you hear. And so the disciples at that point are like, okay. I mean, I, I'm assuming, I don't know if he did each one of those things or if people shared stories. Like I said, we don't know, really know what happens, but he says what you hear and see, which I always thought was very, very intriguing. He didn't just tell them that. And this is the thing. He didn't ostracize John for asking the question. He didn't attack him. He didn't push right back into him and say, well, what do you think, John? I mean, don't you remember the dove, the water thing? Come on, dude. He, he, he welcomed that question. But then what's unique is what he does next. So then as those disciples go, now, I, I don't know, as they go, if they overheard this, or as they go, like, were they walking really slow and listening? And either way, I don't know if this information got back to John before he was, before he was killed. But as they go, Verses 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. That's what he's saying. He's saying concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? John was always out in the wilderness. He was dressed in camel hair, eating crazy stuff, right? He was always out there. So what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Reeds were really, really tall things. They could be pointy on the top, and they would just literally, like with, with a light wind, would flop over, and then they could flop back and forth. So he's saying, did you go out and see a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Now, soft clothing, what had happened is what had infiltrated some of the, the religious system is that Pharisees and others started wearing clothes that would make them more acceptable to kings and soft and, and really, really amazing things. And, and John's saying, he's saying, John wasn't even that. Like, John wasn't bouncing back and forth in faith. He wasn't shaking all over. He was steady. And he wasn't falling to the, the circumstances around him. He wasn't, he wasn't offended or afraid of the fact that, that some of these other people may have not liked him. In fact, John was bold. So he's soft clothing. He said, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And Jesus then finally answers, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so he goes into this, this encouragement, this like patting on the back of John. And at first I was like, why didn't he say it when the disciples were there? I was like, if I was John, it would have been kind of cool to hear your homie Jesus be like, dude, Man, this guy was like laying it out for everyone to hear about how awesome you were. But I don't think it was necessarily for John. What John wanted to know is if he was the Messiah, and that's it. 
That was his question, and Jesus answered that question. But, but if you were in that crowd, and you had been baptized by John, which we see all the way in Acts, still people are still following John, even though he's passed, disciples of John. And so if you'd been baptized by John, or you'd seen someone so bold carrying this message, and all of a sudden, John seems to be waffling a bit, it might make you go, wait, 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 wait. This is the guy that was so bold. Wait, he's, he's not certain you're the one? Similar to a lot of us, we, we follow blogs and pastors all over the internet. We, someone makes a mistake, it's like our world is crushed. Like, oh no. Like we'd ask that person into our heart. And he's saying, look. And so he goes in and he says, look, John was steady. He was sober-minded. He was a prophet. He was, he was first among all prophets. He was the greatest of all. He was the messenger that was all the other prophets beforehand had to say, there comes a Messiah. He got to say, here is the Messiah. He says, even in that, in the kingdom of heaven, for those when this is completed, he's still second to the kingdom of heaven. Those that understand the kingdom of heaven in its entirety through, through Christ, we're, we're, he's second to that. And so he tells people, like, don't worry about this. John isn't, isn't, his doubts don't shake me. They shouldn't shake you either. It wasn't like John was whiffling and waffling back and forth and being tossed every which direction. He's always been steady. It's like Jesus at that moment said, hey, 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 I understand that circumstances at time may make you doubt. That's okay. It's okay to, it's okay to doubt. It's what you do with that. And Jesus goes on in, in, in verse 12. He says, he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He, let, he who has ears hear, let him hear. And so he's he says, look, the, the, the problem is, is that we've seen in, in all of Israel's history, we've seen kingdoms come and fall, and they've always been by the sword. There's been a big war. There's been a crush. When I went to Jerusalem, they talked about like over the last 12, 12 different times that Jerusalem's been crushed and rebuilt on. And so it's like there's a 140-foot wall of where it was originally, but it just keeps getting built up because of all the times it's taken over. And it's like it happens over and over and over again. And Jesus says, look, look, that's... That's not what I'm doing right now. That's, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm coming to establish a kingdom on an individual level. I'm lifting the eyes of the prostitute up and saying, no, no, no more. I'm touching the leper in a way that, that makes me unclean, but yet I can still do it. I'm raising people from the dead, and I'm, I'm defeating and conquering Satan and the oppression. I'm, I'm, I'm about so much more than this political thing that you guys want. I'm so much more than this. God had confidence in John, which is interesting. The opposite of confidence is usually doubt. So, so it's not bad to doubt. My question is, what do you do with that doubt? Look, my, my assumption is some of you have ridiculously hard situations right now, circumstances that are not fair, they're not right, you didn't deserve them. And it's really, really hard. And the best thing you can do is not allow yourself to doubt and forsake the one thing, the one person who can actually shed light and truth into that. It's okay to bring those questions to God, but you got to bring them to him. 
It's, it's okay to, add, like, just asking a why God flippantly and then never, ever opening his word and letting his spirit speak to you. It's a why God, why, 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 and never actually turning to him and just listening to blogs and the voices of everyone else is very, very dangerous. So what do you do with your doubt? Do you, do you, do you pursue Christ? Do you press into him? Do you allow him to, to speak truth right back into you? That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go, oh, he tells me, oh, no, my kingdom, what's going to happen? I don't know what to do. No, Jesus said, oh, oh, John, John, tell him this. And he quoted scripture right back to him and then showed it to him. He said, tell him you saw that, tell him you heard that, and he knew that John's good to go. Because John didn't doubt truth. He doubted the circumstances and understanding of that truth. He, John, he proved that he didn't doubt Christ because he went right to him. It was like, man, he's going he's gonna to lay it straight for me. He's going to tell me what's happening. Let's go to him. Let's ask him. He'll tell me if it's not him. And I understand, John, like, he kind of gave his life to this. It would kind of be a bummer to be sitting in a prison going, man, I missed it. I did all those things. I, apparently, he's not the messenger. Like, that's, oh, man, this is great. Now, I don't, I don't even know what to do now. John, John gets the peace, the, the, the back, the back story back from Christ going, I am the one. And John can rest easy knowing I did what I was called to do. I served what I was called to do. And here's the thing. John isn't released from prison. He dies. We'll get there in a few other chapters. And, and God didn't change his circumstances, even though he was faithful and obedient and did what God called him to. But you know what God did? He did one better. Instead of changing his circumstances, he spoke into him and said, hey, 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 I'm the one. Well done. Here's the truth. Look at this. Rest easy. And that's why I think we can get to Philippians verses like peace that surpasses all understanding. <laughs> right? Because it doesn't make sense. Sometimes our circumstances don't change. Sometimes our trials go on forever. In this age, even the, the strongest and greatest saints experience deep darkness. None of us are spared sorrow or oppression. It's just a matter of time before we will experience that. Most of us will experience seasons when we feel as if we've been abandoned. The Savior does not break the bruised reed. He hears our pleas for help and is patient with our doubts. He does not condemn us. He has paid completely for any sin that is exposed in our pain. So even when we're in doubt and we're like, oh, I don't know what to do, and we start sinning, he's even paid for that sin. And he lavishes his grace on us in this moment. His grace will always be sufficient. The hope we taste and the promises we trust will often be the sweetest thing we experience in this age. See, so Jesus is, may not change your circumstances. You may not experience anything else. In fact, even if you did experience something amazing, even if you would, even if you would experience something incredible, it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to experience something horrible the next day because we live in a broken world. And the only thing Jesus says in this, you know, he comes back a little bit more violently in the, in the next few, few weeks. Not violent, that's a bad word. Direct. Um, he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That was a word I, I struggle with. I actually had Preston help me with it this week. Offended actually, like when I hear that, it's like, oh, I'm offended by Jesus. Like I'm offended by what he said or I'm offended what we do. And I think a lot of Christians will use that as an excuse to be jerks. Oh, they're just offended by the gospel so I can be a jerk. And that actually, that word, it doesn't, it's not, Offended is a bad translation. That word is actually more of a rejection. 
of him. It's a stumbling block. It's a, it's a word that literally means that those, those who reject me are not blessed. And so this is, this is where I think the rubber hits the road with this text. When you doubt, when you trip up, when you're struggling, when you're, when you're in place, don't reject him. Don't turn your back on his word. Press in to him. Press into, into what he says and, and his truth. Press into this and, 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 and keep looking to him. Seek his face in prayer. Allow his spirit to point to you and lead you. Submit and surrender all of you, all of your expectations, all of your difficult situations, all of your, your worldly perceptions. Submit all of that to his will and his word. He says, I'm blessed. Blessed you'll be in this. And he might, he may, no guarantee, but he did it for John. He may pat you on the back without you even knowing it. He may say, hey, 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 come here, angels, or however this works, right? It's like, hey, that person's pretty cool, huh? But it's never about us. But what I love about the kingdom is it is about every single individual. And the kingdom of God is, 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 is coming on an individual basis, tangibly to you and me. And so when we doubt we can doubt why, God, how come, God, this stinks, God, talk to me, God, what's going on, where are you at, God, but we continue to press into God, and we don't turn our back on that. Band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to sing and worship. One of the other things I think that is really interesting or awesome about this is that, is that ultimately, like, John didn't, I don't, we don't know, like, the whole story of what he got or how, where he's at, like, we kind of said we get a little bit more of a picture of it, but but ultimately, we have that revelation of the story. We have, we have the whole thing bookended here. And, and obviously, there's a second coming. We know that Jesus will come back, and he will claim, and he will do this, and this kingdom will be completed, and it will be on earth as it is in heaven. We understand all of that. But, but my bet is in your circumstances and in your doubts and in your questions, God is trying to take you to a greater revelation of him. He's trying to take you to a more intimate understanding of him. And this is where we get in trouble. Because we doubt because we once learned a long time ago, oh, I read that book once, I heard this a long time ago, and there's therefore nothing else I can learn in it. That is a lie. That is a lie. Like, we are continually learning more about God because, look, he created everything. He's not in the boxes of what we understand. He's in the box and outside the box and made the box and wrote his name on the box. And I mean, like, he's, he's everything. And so he's, he's taking you into a greater revelation. So, so maybe your doubt, maybe your doubt is actually a gift right now. And it's not just some, like, way for you to forsake and the enemy's pushing in and trying to get you to doubt God, which that could happen. But maybe your doubt's a gift. And he's saying, look, sit in this, press into me, and you will know more of me and my character, which will draw you to more and more worship of me, which will bring incredibly much more glory to me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, not condemning the doubts. God, for those in the room that are doubting right now and, and in a way are doubting, with their arms crossed, crossed, sitting in a chair, pouting and have no desire to turn to you, God, would you lift their head up to you? Would you draw their heart to your word? God, for those that are just experiencing ridiculous circumstances, horrific circumstances, God, would you remind them that even in the worst situations, I think of Joseph when he's in prison for 15 years, there's that one sentence, that one line in the test that says, and God was with him. God, would you remind them that in the hardest circumstances, you are still with us. 
God, for those that continually fight against you, that don't surrender their life to you, that don't believe in you, that, were, that are using doubts, that are hiding behind doubts to excuse themselves for not believing in you, God, would you, would you push into them? Would you help them understand that their doubts are not shaking you? <laughs> that your grace is still sufficient for those people and those doubts. God, for those of us that are just doubting, God, would you bring us to a better understanding of who you are? Would you bring us to a more authentic relationship with you? Would you bring us to a faith that is infectious? God, would you bring us to a spot where we can take that doubt and we can see your hand and your truth and your wisdom? And Father, for those, all of us in the room that doubt, would you create an insatiable desire for your word in our hearts that we cannot quench? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.